Entrepreneurship has become a global phenomenon. Uncover the stories of entrepreneurs and investors worldwide. From Sub-Saharan Africa to Silicon Valley and beyond. Here on the Global Startup Movement. Now, here's your host, Andrew Berkowitz. All right, so I am here with Eric Osiakwan, who is the managing partner at Chanzo Capital. He's a serial entrepreneur. He's an angel investor. He has over 15 years of ICT industry leadership across Africa and the world. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here with you uh, today. Where in the world are you right now? I'm in San Francisco today. Last week, I was in Europe, as I mentioned to you, part of our fun road show. But I'm in San Fran and... Uh, uh, LA this week and next week, uh, New York, uh, Boston, and hopefully I'll see you in DC next week. 100%. 100%. So, uh, I guess your US tour, how much time do you spend, maybe we'll say like in the US or Europe versus on, on the ground in Africa operating? Well, I spend generally anything between 60% to 80% of my time in Africa. And then I spend a bit of my time here in the US and then now also in Europe, primarily because of the current state of the fund that we are about to uh, make public. So it's a growth fund and the LPs are coming from the US and Africa as well as uh, Europe. We got some interest from the European LPs, so we're spending time there. But most of our activities for the growth fund is going to be focused on Africa. And I see this as sort of the second evolution in my investing career. So as you mentioned, you know, I was an entrepreneur before and then I became an angel investor. And we've invested about a million dollars of our own money, myself and my partners, individually in about 16 companies, out of which about two are here in the U.S., and most of them are in Africa. And then we've seen a gap in the African market for venture and growth capital. So that's what Tanzo Capital, the current fund, uh, the King's Fund, is focused on. We want to take companies that are market leaders in one country in the five sectors that we're focused on. And from the five countries, one of the five countries, and then scale them across Africa. So we're in the process of first closing that fund, uh, which is why we seem to be more on the road in Europe and the U.S. and also in Africa. From next year, we'll start investing from that fund, uh, which will be sort of the second evolution of our, our investing career. And really, the reason I asked is because I've, you know, it's it's interesting to hear African entrepreneurs and African investors when they do travel, whether it's for looking for partners, whether it's looking for fundraising, you know, what, what are the hotspots that, that are hitting? Because I, I think it's insightful of how, how capital flows. And I think it's very, um, very important, if, especially if you're operating in African markets, to understand, you know, what, what capital in London and D.C. and San Fran, what, what they want, what they look for on the continent, and, and how that whole world is developing. Yeah, and also that we are beginning to see also interest from Asia and the Middle East. We've made some incursions into those two places. Just that we haven't been able to build, you know, strong enough relationships there. But we think that those are areas that we're going to see capital flows from into the continent. And uh, we think that probably in our second or third close, we may have uh, LPs from there. But we are seriously building relationships there in the Middle East and also in Asia. As a matter of fact, I was having lunch earlier this week on Monday with a very good friend of mine who's a very good friend is Asian. We've met a couple of times and he wanted us to have lunch because they may start looking into investing in Africa. Tomorrow, yesterday, they requested we send them a fund document. So we think that as you see the incursion that you see from the Chinese and the Asian governments to Africa, you're going to see private sector 
I guess you've heard also Jack Ma now has a fund focused on African entrepreneurs, you know, that kind of stuff. So we're going to see more and more of uh, uh, Asian capital. So we're developing those relationships. We also have been seeing a lot of African capital begin to look more at our space, more at early stage, and also a little bit of interest in venture and growth from the institutional side. Because most of the institutional capital has been looking more at private equity. But we begin to see that there's some interest. Uh, we're most likely we're going to have some African LPs in our fund first course. So that's encouraging. Um, but of course, we need more of that. Yeah, I actually did. I thought, I didn't know Jack Ma had a fund. I thought he was doing more of like a competition style. Well, yeah, it's a competition style. But basically, the winner gets some money, which is an investment. So it's not free right. money that they give. Actually, it's a, they take an equity position in the company. Um, I mean, it's one way to skin the card. So many ways yeah. to uh, invest. But yeah, that's one way to do it, which Got is it. sort of this approach. So. I mean, it's encouraging to see that um, he's looking to start investing in Africa, you know, which sort of confirms the thesis that Africa is probably the place that you're going to need some of the hottest innovation from. To think that he's coming from Asia, where everybody's saying, oh, yeah, everything is happening in Asia, but he's not looking into Africa, which validates our position that Africa is the next Asia, which is something I I said probably uh, five years ago as part of the skin's thesis. I kind of make this case that the, if you take the temperature of innovation around the world, it was last spotted in the last century in Asia, and this century is going to be in Africa. Yeah. And, and then I went on to postulate about the five countries that I believe are leading this uh, revolution, which I call the King's Countries. And now we're seeing those things come to pass. Right. Yeah, and, and we, we discussed this on, on uh, our last show. I, I think that, I mean, you're, you're definitely right. I think China really, like, China really sees Africa as kind of China maybe a decade, decade and a half ago. And so... While while the the U.S. has brought over, uh, you know more more so on the aid side historically, but I think China they have their special economic zone strategy, which I think it's it seems like is going to work much better in developing Africa. I mean, they also uh, have the Beltway Initiative, which focuses more on the infrastructure side. Right. Um, they do they now begin to get incursion into manufacturing, and we're going to see more of. Uh, actually, last two years when Jack Ma was on the continent, his first uh, trip in in the. In Kenya, I happened to be invited. He came with about 30 Chinese billionaires. The big issue that was, there was a big language gap, you know, and they also wanted to do big ticket deals, right? And the last year, he brought a few of them as well, but the ICO was when he formally launched his uh, uh, initiative on Africa. And I think we're going to see more of that. What we're also seeing is that the incursion that we're seeing from Asia is now getting some of the U.S. Um, capital that has been sleeping to kind of start waking up and realizing, hey, maybe we should get more serious in Africa, sort of become a counterbalance to uh, the Asian influence. Because here too, I mean, a lot of U.S. capital have been looking at Africa a little bit more differently from the usual risk perception, stereotyping angle. So that is changing very fast here. Now the conversations are quite different. As a matter of fact, when you talk about technology now, the listing of Jumia on the New York Stock Exchange really has changed a lot of the conversation in the capital market community. So that's good. Uh, that's good development. And we really believe that we are going to see more of that, right, in the next, in this next decade. So 20, 2020 to 2030 will be a growth decade for the third generation of entrepreneurs that have been kind of building companies. They will all be getting to the maturity stage, right, where now they want to start growing across Africa and to the rest of the world. And that's the essence of our, our fund, our next fund. Let's dive into that. I mean, what has really changed or evolved in your thesis around the Kings? I mean, it, se- it seems like you're spot on and that, I mean, these are, are really some, some of the big five. And I'd also be curious to hear what, what countries are um, rising faster than you thought that are threatening the, um, 
the the awesome acronym that you have with 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 the wrong letter. Yeah. Well, I mean, actually, we've we've come up this the the threats are really really strong, but they've also led to some more interesting acronyms that are kind of begin to emerge uh, in the conversations. But first, let me kind of give the bit of the context. So when we 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 came up with the Keynes concept, the idea was to look at the countries that were leading the sort of the digitization of Africa's economy. And one of the things that I said back then was that when we were doing this postulation, it was Kenya was the biggest hotspot. And then we said the next hotspot was going to be Lagos. And then recently we've seen Bloomberg and everybody writing about Lagos, right? And we think the next hotspot is most likely going to be Abidjan in Ivy Coast. And that will be sort of the culmination of the Keynes countries. But also we begin to see other markets that have become really catching up, like Egypt, Cairo. Cairo has become really, really a big hotspot. We begin to see a lot of innovation and a lot of investment going there, especially from the Middle East. Um, we begin to see Morocco also as a very hot destination. Um, so one of the acronyms that combines the North African countries is Keynes Me, which was uh, rightly captured by uh, Kenza who runs a fund called Outliers out of Morocco. She and I were on a panel at Vivatech in, Mor- in uh, Paris uh, about a month ago. And then she basically came up with this King's Me concept, which is adding Morocco and Egypt, which I think is a very, very good addition and a new conjecture of the acronym. And then some of my friends in Egypt have also come up with the EKs acronym, which is Egypt, Kenya, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, Ghana, and South Africa. We've also seen countries like Senegal become very interesting. So my Senegalese friends will We'll say still kings with an, an extra S, right? Where the extra S is <laughs> two S's at end with Senegal as uh, the third country. And then we've seen, also seen countries like uh, Rwanda. We've seen countries like Tanzania, Uganda. The Ugandan friends say you kings. And so this is really good. And this is exactly the kind of intent we had when we were building the skins concept. That we're going to see a lot more countries waking up and begin to sort of get into that first bracket of countries, right? That are really in the digital economy. So for now, you could say that these countries that I've mentioned are probably inching up into the kings, right? And which right. is great. And, and really that's what we want to see because we, we really believe that there's going to be a developing and a maturing of the ecosystems across Africa. They are not going to be saying. There's always going to be guys who are leading. Then there's going to, like you asked, the second tier countries and probably the third tier countries. But the idea that everybody's zooming to that sort of to become part of the first-year countries, and that's exactly what we want to achieve with the Keynes concept. Um, and that's why we came up with it. Yeah, and, and that, that was really going to be my next question. Like, Do you feel like there are, beyond those countries, a, a clear second tier that's breaking out from um, the, the rest of the countries? Or, I mean, do you feel like there's just a huge, huge drop-off between the, those big ones and the rest? No, actually, in, in, actually I would say both. Well, we've seen countries that are really sort of catching up, like I said. And then also those countries that are there already are also advancing more, right? So they are also going to be eating forward, which means that the countries that are not really doing well are falling back. And that's where you would say probably the three levels. So the kings, the second tier, and the others, so something like that. But generally what we're seeing is that every country is waking up to this digitization that's happening in Africa, which is that, which is primarily underscored by the fact that mobile and broadband is become a lifestyle. And we believe that it's going to be the next evolution is going to be 
online business. So a lot of businesses, a lot of economies, a lot of ecosystems are becoming more digital using mobile as the platform, which is why we believe that you're going to see a lot of innovative solutions to home challenges and problems coming from these markets where you are seeing the most serious problems or challenges being solved using this platform. And, and, and I know you were part of the team or, or the group that helped bring the um, undersea cables and, and help bring internet to a lot of countries. It seems like most of the internet usage is, is, is mobile broadband as opposed to like fixed broadband. Do you, do you think that that last mile of internet, I mean, is, do you think that's still a, a big problem? Yes. Actually, uh, there was a big story. I guess you saw it with uh, Facebook and uh, Google announcing last week that they're going to build submarine cables to connect Africa. Yes. Uh, bring them online. And I said, look, we did that 10 years ago, right? 10 years ago in 2007, when I came out of Stanford, one of the, my big thing was to build submarine cables in Africa. And I went to this big giant and I said, look, the next thing is to build submarine cables because Africa was not connected to the rest of the world. And they didn't listen. We went ahead and built a team's cable in East Africa led by Tanga Demo. And then subsequently, I think 14 submarine cables have been built around Africa. So the challenge is not connecting Africa to the world, the rest of the world. The challenge now is how do you drive that connectivity from the beach to the mobile towers, the mobile phone networks within the continent? And that's a problem that requires a little bit more. It's a little bit more challenging because you deal with regulatory challenges. You're going across borders, et cetera. So companies like Liquid Telecom are doing that. I myself started a company called uh, WAPCO, the West Africa Broadband Company, that tried to build a broadband network around West Africa. We were successful in a few countries, but the regulatory challenges and the barriers that we faced with sort of crossing borders was really hard. Mm -hmm. But that's the next big challenge because once you do that, then pretty much the mobile networks are now becoming much more smarter. The tower infrastructure is becoming much more extensive. They are beginning to have a lot of serious capacity on the networks. So once this network, these towers now have broadband, then you begin to see that the cost of broadband begins to go down, begins to get faster. I think we are inching towards that inflection point. And that is an opportunity area that is very interesting to explore. And that will really take what we see now, which I call the digitization economy, will sort of speed up because the reality is that there is still a lot of dumb phones and a lot of people that are not connected to the online, the mobile web community in Africa. And there are two reasons for that. One is the devices are still expensive, though the price are coming down. And secondly, the broadband connectivity is still with, out of the means of a lot of people. Mm. But mm. as that, at this sort of what I call the long haul and the metro fiber networks are built, that challenge will be overcome. So right now, it's just a question of how soon the price point will come down for devices and for broadband connectivity. Is that mainly an issue in sub-Saharan Africa? Like, uh, like I, I guess you, you've been spending more time, right, in, in, in North Africa ecosystems. Uh, is there a big disparity between the two of those, or are they very similar? Actually, very similar. I've been spending time in Cairo um, and then in Morocco most recently. Um, and, and I have seen the, uh, the internet speeds that you see in those markets are fairly fast uh, compared to the king's countries. And you're also seeing a lot of innovation. You are seeing a lot of early stage investing, the sort of Cairo angels, 
Um, you've seen angel networks in Morocco. I've seen uh, early stage funds like Outliers run by my good friend uh, Kenza. So we begin to see the same level of activity in the North African markets, right? And I think this is where we are going to see the sort of overcoming this sub-Saharan North African barrier, right? Mm. Because mm. the reality is that it is going to be much more easier for Egyptian startups and Moroccan startups to expand into the rest of Africa. Because in terms of market maturation, we're almost at the same level as opposed to going into the Middle East as, you know, in the sense of this level of the market. But having said that, you have also seen companies from the Middle East expanding into North Africa. Um, Karem, for example, which is the leading ride hailing service in the Middle East, which recently, I think they've been bought by Uber. But one of the biggest expansions recently was into Egypt and I think Morocco. And then we've seen companies like uh, Swivel, which was also in the ride uh, you know, space, uh, sort of expand from Egypt, started in Egypt, but I think it's moved also now, expanding to Morocco and also a little bit into the Middle East. But now they just recently opened an office in um, Kenya. And I think they're next going to Ghana or Nigeria. I know one of the investors, uh, Beko Capital, I was having a catch up with them three weeks ago here in uh, San Francisco. We met at a conference and they were telling me that they would need some help getting into West Africa. They would think of Nigeria or Ghana. So you begin to see these sort of incursions and all of them is around growth, right? So that's what's going to happen over the next two decades, that these companies that become market leaders in one country are beginning to start expanding into multiple countries. And, and that was really your thesis all along with, with the Kings, right? Like you, as an investor, you find a, a, someone that's killing it in Kenya or Ghana or somewhere, then infuse them with capital to scale them across the rest. Right. right. So, so to that also, we, we believe that it's not really capital that you need. So this is where Shanzo Capital has a differentiation. I mean, most people are seeing this opportunity. But this opportunity is less about capital. It is more about having the requisite capacity and community. So we believe that there are three things that the companies need to unlock this opportunity in the market. It's capital, capacity, and community. And I'll explain that. So it's not enough to write these guys a check. Because remember, most of these entrepreneurs don't know these countries, don't know these markets. The same way a lot of the fund managers that are, you know, looking at Africa coming from Europe and from the U.S. also don't know this market. So it's almost like the blind leading the clueless, if you ask me. <laughs> and so the, the, the fund managers that are going to win this game are those that are not only providing capital, but also providing capacity and community. By capacity, meaning that do they know the continent? Do they know Nigeria? Can they help the entrepreneurs understand how to fine-tune their business model that is working in Ghana or working in Kenya to suit the Nigerian market. If you think it's a copy and paste, you lie. Nigeria is significantly different from Kenya, and so is South Africa from um, Ivory Coast. And so is Ghana from South Africa. So you cannot just invest in a company that is a market leader in Ghana where the entrepreneurs don't know South Africa and assume that they can go into South Africa and succeed. <laughs> That's a fallacy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So one of the things that a lot of investors haven't realized is that whilst Africa presents a great opportunity, Africa is not heterogeneous. It's not sorry. It's not homogeneous. Africa is very heterogeneous. So you need a lot of experience of understanding how Africa works. 
And this is the biggest value that we at Chanzo Capital bring to the entrepreneurs. And this is the essence of our current fund, our growth fund, is that we are not only going to be writing checks to these entrepreneurs, we are also going to be giving them the capacity, building their capacity to understand these markets. And then when we go into this country, we are going to connect them into the communities, the business communities in this country. Because every business community in the countries are very different. And the way the business culture operates is very different. But because me and my other partners, um, Tinyuko, Ian, and Nelly, because we've built and invested companies and invested in companies in about 45 African countries through our career, we have deep networks and experience. So when we take a business in Kenya, we, we're first going to help them understand how do you fine-tune that business model to work in Nigeria. And the reason we can do that is that we know Nigeria, we know how things work in Nigeria, right? So if you're not a fund manager and you don't know how Nigeria and things work in Nigeria, and the entrepreneur doesn't know, yes, you eventually know, but you're going to pay for your mistakes, right? right? right. So we believe that the challenge is not going to be capital. We believe that capital is going to commoditize. The guys who are going to win are those who can understand the capacity issues per country and understand the community issues on a continent-wide level. And that's what our current fund focuses on. Makes sense. Yeah, money, money loves speed. If you can help them scale across those countries faster, I mean, that's a huge, huge differentiator. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Eric, this has been great. Uh, let's finish this off with a quick fire round. Four questions, 60 seconds per answer. Sound good? Sure. Shoot. Starting off, what is your favorite vacation spot on the African continent and why? Uh, my favorite vacation spot is Cape Town because Cape Town basically shows you the different contours of Africa. You see that also in Freetown where you see the mountains crashing into the oceans and you have a little city in the middle of them. And literally you can experience the mountains, you can experience the sea, and then you can also experience um, the land uh, in, 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 a, in a small enclave. You see that also in Lake Kivu in Rwanda. Um, one of my favorite places, I've not been there a lot recently, but you also see that in Freetown. So I, you know, in Freetown, you also see the forest, right? Um, which is great. I like to be by nature when I'm vacationing. So nature sports are the most important for me. So what is your favorite, do you have a favorite book on uh, doing business in Africa or like any, um, any, any book that gives you insight on, on operating on the continent? Well, I've been reading all the books. So the, one of the great things is that now a lot more books have been written on Africa. I'm going to tell you the two point. that I've just, I've just been reading. I've just finished reading my good friend Lucy Quist wrote a book called The Bold New Normal. I bought a copy for all my CEOs. Everybody, that's the latest gift I give them for the first quarter. In that book, Lucy Quist envisions Africa that is bold, that is new, and becomes the, the normal for the 21st century. I'm currently reading a book called Afrotopia by Felwyn Saar, a Senegalese prophet economist. In that book, Felwyn Saar argues that Africa actually needs to build, to have a new paradigm. We need to shift the paradigm. And we as Africa have all the elements that the rest of the world needs for the 21st century, not the other way around. So here you have him sort of challenging the African scholarly community that we need to develop a new way of African scientific discourse, which is not about catching up with the worst, but a new paradigm. Got it. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to check that out. If you could choose somebody, they could be like anyone in history, dead or alive, to be an LP in your fund, like your dream LP. Who would it be? Well, we, we, my dream LP is uh, African institutional capital and pension funds. So we're actually talking to a couple of them. 
And we know that it's just a matter of time and they'll be up in our fund. Uh, I wouldn't like to mention names, but you see, pension capital belongs to the people. So right. if you can take that capital and use it to activate an industry or a sector like the growth sector in Africa, it will present the most returns back to the Africans, right? And so for me, this is about using African capital to unlock value and, re- and bring it return to Africans. And that's what we hope to d- do. And those are the type of wealthy that we hope will become ultimate LPs in our fund. That's such a good point that I don't hear get brought up a lot. Like, you know, who who... Whoever the LP in the funds are are the ones that are profiting, and so it's like, well, who's who's uh who's going to be w- the big winners from this this last wave of Silicon Valley? Uh, that's a interesting interesting question. We know that we'll make great returns. We hope yeah. that we'll make gross great returns for African LPs, the institutional guys, the pension guys, because that's where a lot of dead money is, and so we can make it smart and bring great returns. What's your favorite thing about living in Accra? Because it's the, it's the center of the earth. And, and, and I got to tell you this, it may sound uh, utopian, but I'm so lucky I'm Ghanaian. I've traveled the world. I still enjoy going back home. I still miss Ghana. I love Accra and I love it because it's the center of the world and it's one of the best places to live on it. And that's why I still live there. Awesome. Eric Osiakwan, thank you so much for coming on the show. I will 100% be in Accra later this year. All right. Just looking forward. Thanks for listening. Be sure to add Andrew on Snapchat at andberk, that's A-N-D-B-E-R-K, to see firsthand a day in the life of an entrepreneur in cities all around the world.